It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans. Thank you once again for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. Make sure to give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley. Before we get going today, quick shout out to our sponsor, DraftKings. Make sure to sign up today. Use promo code THPN. Of course, lots of hockey going on. You can take part in, of course, Major League Baseball. Hopefully it gets going in the NBA. Unfortunately, no NFL for a little while, but you've got the UFC. Lots of fun to be had up at DraftKings. Sign up today, play responsibly, and make sure to use promo code THPN when you do so. Also, thank you to the fine folks of the Hockey Podcast Network for giving me this opportunity to talk a little bit about the Edmonton Oilers and uh, for the Oilers since they made the coaching change bringing in Jay Woodcroft as well as Dave Manson from the Bakersfield Condors. Things are going pretty well. They're 4-0, and just coming off a big win against the Anaheim Ducks on Thursday night, 7-3, to and lots of important games coming up for this team. They've got the Jets on Saturday, the Minnesota Wilds who are on fire on Sunday, and then kind of maybe the toughest three-game three stretch you can have in the NHL right now. Going down to Florida, you've got the Lightning, the Panthers, as well as the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, lots of stuff coming up for the Edmonton Oilers. It's going to be a really, really fun couple months here down the stretch for this team, and uh, we're going to break it all down with a friend of this show, Dash in the Park from HeavyHockey.com, straight off the pipe podcast. Uh, you can give him a follow on Twitter at Dash in the Park. Dash, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you doing? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Little uh, hockey podcast network, heavy hockey podcast collab. Oh yeah, here, man. I mean, every once in a while, we got to do it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I do appreciate you doing this. Uh, we're taping it uh, Friday afternoon, just coming off the big win against the Anaheim Ducks on a Thursday night, and uh, maybe not uh, maybe not the start people would have wanted, but man, the Edmonton Oilers, they found a way to get it going. We'll talk about that and more later on here, but I want to go back to, to last week when we found out that Dave Tippett was being fired by the Edmonton Oilers, and I think for a lot of people out there, you know it, I know it, uh, it was a popular decision. A lot of people wanted to see uh, Dave Tippett on his way out, the way things were going for this team in the month of December and of January. Uh, what was your thoughts when it happened? Because for me, it was like, what took so long? That was my exact thought. Yeah, why did this take so long? Um, you know, obviously, Holland felt like he was pushed in, into a direction he didn't want to go or backed into a corner, if you will. And I believe, you know, in doing that, he, he, he had his hand forced probably, uh, you know, maybe by himself, maybe by someone else, who knows, um, for them to know. And that's to ponder. But I do, do believe it was, you know, with all the time they had off right before that break, Connor, it really would have been well served to take that time when they had a couple of five-day chunks off and, and to be able to practice systems and, and implement things uh, properly as opposed to where they are now with uh, four games into the Woodcroft <laughs> tenure and only having one practice so far. Could you imagine? Like, yeah, we, we've got a bunch of days to practice here. Jay Woodcroft can come on and, you know, put it in the systems that he wants and at, at least get a couple of practice with the guys, get to know them a little bit more, where in this situation it's kind of like doing it on the fly. 
I, I try to be optimistic. Is there is there any way we can put a positive twist on that and say, hey, you know what? Like, at least this way, it was simplified. Like, not going to throw a whole lot at you, little bits at a time, and we're going to go from there. Oh, for sure. And that's the only way to approach this at this <laughs> point in time. I think you just got to take it in baby steps. And you can see it game by game. You know, the, the system seems to be kind of changing, and that neutral zone is clogging up more and more as the games kind of go on. So, yeah, that's all they really can do. But, Connor, you can see how they've simplified their game, right? I think in that Tippett style, when, you know, there was developing offense off the rush and, and constantly uh, driving the puck in on their sticks, you know, there wasn't a lot of dump and chase. There wasn't a lot of chip and chase. And by doing that, you know, Tippett mentioned many times that he didn't like their team taking sh- low percentage shots because he felt like it was, you know, uh, almost like a giveaway of possession. And so I almost wonder how much that messed with the psyche of the team and, and, and stink bit them to a point where they were almost scared to shoot unless they could pass it perfectly into the net. And now I notice under Woodcroft how they're really, you know, they're chipping and chasing, they're, they're promoting physicality to go and separate the puck from the man behind the net, they're creating offense off the cycle, they're getting tips in front, and, and it kind of looks more like the hockey we, we wanted to see from Tippett, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and you're getting contributions from, you know, guys outside of McDavid and Dreisaitl. And uh, the hot start this season, those guys were kind of carrying the load along with the power play. And we knew the power play wasn't going to keep up that percentage for their mm-hmm. whole season. So they needed eventually to get that depth scoring. And I think Jay Woodcroft, I mean, coming up here, and we'll just get right into it now. I mean, the the 11-7 and 7 style that he used the, for the first three games there and getting McDavid, Drysaddle, and Nuge kind of rolling there with with different looks and different giving different guys opportunities to play with them. Like, to me, I, I thought, what took so long? Like, that, that just seems kind of like a, a common sense move. Yeah. Again, you nailed it. Like, why? It's like it's like the, the palm flop emoji. Like, why haven't we thought of this earlier? Right? I think, like, Tippett was very stubborn and staunch on a lot of the things that he really wanted to. Maybe not the way he. Because, you know, he had a blender as well, which is, you know, contradictory to that. But ultimately, he, he really liked to stick to his guns. He had a strategy to fall back on the big guys. You know, we're now hearing in Derek Ryan interviews how, how that didn't maybe go well with the role players and how they didn't feel involved. And, and you know, you can almost see it on on the way that McDavid and Drysaddle are playing now. They, they look like they have a degree of weight lifted off their shoulders. And, and a lot of that is the way that they have spread that out through the 11 and 7. And, you know, I, I think that quite honestly, it's simply as this, Woodcroft and Manson are used to playing with 11 and 7s and 10s and 6s and 10s and 7s because they were um, ravaged with COVID down in Bakersfield shortly before his promotion. Yeah, and I... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, with that mix... I was just going to finish off with that mixed lineup. You know, he was kind of already juggling these balls like that. Yeah, and I'm just like, as I interrupt you, I was trying to check out... uh, Ryan Holt, because I know he had the tweet he put out there, uh, that is the play-by-play voice of the Condors, yeah. and he talks about how, like, this this is nothing new for them. Like, they've had to shuffle the lineup and, and find different ways to make things work. And, you know, obviously, yeah, when you can, 12 and 6 is uh, the way it's, it's tried and true. It's been done forever, but, you know, that 11 and 7 concept, I, I like it. And Dave Manson, like, he, he's been crushing it with his... I guess the amount of minutes he's given to guys and putting them out there in situations where, you know, they're not going to struggle and they can actually thrive in these situations. And everybody gets to feel included. I think that's the, the key part here, right? And and you'd think when you see a coach um, or, or coaches throwing out an 11 and 7 combo, you would think that that speaks to the lack of depth of forwards. 
right? Because you're rolling out 11 instead of 12. But ultimately, I think this 11-7 and seven strategy speaks more to the lack of depth on defense. With Duncan Keith out, you know, that's a major veteran taking major minutes out. And, yeah, like you said earlier, what, why didn't we think of this earlier? It seems common sense. We've got our three veterans. Let's take Nurse Barry. CC split the top minutes up, still give them their 20, you know, 18 to 22 minutes, and then make everybody else feel comfortable and included with their 10. I mean, you know, brilliant yet simple, right? And, and like you said, you know, Ryan Holt had mentioned, the Connors have been doing this for quite some time. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's a, it, it's a lineup-wise, the, the changes he's making, like we're talking about, are refreshing. I think the systems that he's implying are refreshing. Honestly, I think his, his pressers are refreshing. Yeah, and, you know, I'll, I'll say one thing that I really do like, and uh, I mean, I've, I've coached a lot of soccer in my lifetime, and the the one thing I do like is that he he walks the bench, and you know, he he's talking to his teammates. He's not just, or sorry, his players. He's not just standing above them and you know barking out orders. He's walking, he's talking, he's communicating. I mean, maybe that is just because he's so new and he's trying to figure things out. But that's just a little thing for me that I love to see. Like, hey, what did you guys see on that play? What did what did you think about that? And really, just kind of getting them in that that habit of talking about it. Even if it's just, you know, a little chatter about something, you know, Drysaddle and Patrick Kane, you see, or sorry, Evander Kane, you've seen them talking on the on the bench a few times. Like, I love that kind of stuff. Is there anything you've seen from him subtly that, that you really like from the new coach? That's an excellent point from your perspective. I never really actually had thought of it that way, but, you know, that's just one more element of how to try to make these guys feel included. So, you know, giving them a little bit of gravy ice time, giving them some extra minutes and, and, you know, having that communication on the bench and making sure they're included and making sure that they know what they're doing. All of that for sure. Um, you know, as subtle, uh, I would say it's more of like his, uh, his in-game um, tweaks and, and how he's kind of reacting system-wise, I think has been something that's really subtle that hasn't probably been talked a lot about in the mainstream media, but watching as many Condors games that I, I have over the years, um, you know, I I really see Woodcroft implementing a lot of the systems that he was successful with down there, and now he's got the personnel that he had down there to, to go and deploy them with, and it's the same people, so he's, he's making players that were Condors successful as Condors now in the NHL, so it's translating, which is really important. Um, for me, the things that, you know, subtly stand out, I think are more system-wise, like I said. So, you know, in the offensive zone, um, and I even noticed a few mistakes on it last night, but in the offensive zone, Woodcock likes to play that, you know, 2-1-2, two, two, um, where the high third forward is, is constantly staying up um, top of the circles, maybe creeping into the crease, but supporting the D at all times. Whereas under Tippett, that third forward was allowed to go and plow below the circles and go behind the goal line even if they wanted and here, you know, I was explaining it to the person I was watching the game with last night, and I'm like, see here, watch, McLeod won't bite. He's going to loop up. He's going to stay high, and sure enough, he did. And then the very next forward to be high was dry settle. He went behind the net, and sure enough, it was a three-on-two the other way. And I, you know, thought to myself, under Tippett, that's why we have so many odd man rushes. Under Woodcroft, that's why they've been minimized. So, you know, we've been hearing a lot about this neutral zone been, you know, clogged up and how much harder it is to get through now, and... That's a product of it, right? Because in the in the offensive zone, we've got that third forward high, but in the neutral zone, we're now deploying more of a one-three-one versus what Tippett was doing. And in that instance, now we've got to have the center on the defensive side of the puck in the neutral zone as opposed to the offensive side of the puck. So our superstars can't cheat as much, 
and then translating that to the defensive zone in Tippett style, first forward back support of the D. So that was often Hyman or Fogel or Yamamoto or one of those guys on their horse. It wasn't often Dreisaitl and McDavid because they were cheating the zone. And so now you've got a system where the center has to come back and support the D in the defensive zone always, always the center which means now you've got McDavid, and I've noticed the difference in Dreisaitl. I don't know about you, but he just looks like a much defensive, better player. But I think it's because of all of these little tweaks that, that Woodcroft has made to, to have him on the right side of the puck positionally. Yeah, and I was going to say, like I think it, I want, maybe it was the Islanders game, but there was one game where I, I tweeted it out, like Leon Dreisaitl just had an outstanding sequence defensively, and then he gets up ice and gets an opportunity, and it was just like, that's what you need to see. And if you can get he and McDavid to buy into that. Because I will say, I, I thought there was times this year, and I, I even tweeted out a video of Drysaddle once, just kind of blindly skating in the defensive zone. And, you know, if you get those two to buy in, there's no excuse for anyone else on the roster not to. Like, if the best two players, MVP caliber players, are willing to buy in, I think that, that just sets the tone for everyone else. Like, hey, guys, defense first. It's going to lead to offense. And uh, right now, the words aren't hollow because they're 4-0. Absolutely. And you, you can see the when Dreisaitl's going through 10-foot bursts or he's doing stops and starts and going back the other way and hustling on the back check, there's been a lot of, you know, and it's not like he didn't do that before, but it's just really noticeable now. And I think the guys on the bench notice it too, right? You know, they're like, oh, man, drives on his horse. I want to do that too. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly, exactly, exactly. And uh, as I scrolled through long enough, I finally got down to it. Uh, Ryan Holt at Condors Holt, he says, The Condors played 11-7 and about 85% of the time the last two seasons. Should note that was out of necessity most of the time and mostly playing to the strengths of the team, which was the wealth of defensemen. And, uh... Yeah, I mean, th- there you go. I, I want to stick with one point you just said there, Dash. You said, you know, how it's contagious, Leon Dreisel and what he does. And another thing that I think is contagious is what Marcus Niemelainen and Evander Kane have brought to this team yeah, in the last couple games. I mean, Evander Kane, uh, we, we saw it uh, in the Islanders game when Mike Smith was ran into, and I think it was a pretty innocent enough play. But he and Drysaddle were right in there. Marcus Niemelainen is going to step up on the blue line and make you pay if your head's down. And it's not always about necessarily making that big hit, but separate player from puck and go retrieve it, right? Like, I, I love what those guys have brought just in terms of the nastiness and the physicality. No doubt about it. It's almost, you know, you wouldn't think that two players like that would change the the face or the dimension of your your team like that but you know obviously Ken Holland or the professional scouts saw this need in the offseason as well because they went out and got Fogel and Hyman mm-hmm. and I think that helped but we also saw stints throughout the year where Fogel and Hyman kind of mm, they got oilerized a bit like they kind of fell back to the pack they didn't kind of lead the charge for a while there Fogel especially and now all of a sudden you add this little bit of pepper on the steak and man, it's spicy out there for sure. Like Kane has, he's really impressed me. And and you know, I, I had my, you know, my my off ice Kane opinions are are completely different than my on ice Kane yep. opinions. And and I'll keep them separate. But the on ice Kane and the chemistry and the holes that he's filled and the boxes he checks, I find intoxicating. He has done things for this forward group that I never thought could have honestly been possible, and it's crazy to think that given the amount of hockey that he's played in the last year. Um, but you can really see him every, every game. There's another step. Like last night, that's a that's a huge power play goal, Connor. If if they don't score that one going into the first intermission, yeah, that's a two nothing game 
and a Ducks team that's killed off two penalties. You know, that's going to give them momentum. That's going to give them confidence. Instead, Kane Snipes buys a ticket to Snipes City, as Dusty said today, and, uh, you know, makes the momentum of that game absolutely turn on a dime. It, it went in the complete opposite direction after that goal. And, you know, you, you keep going. At the end of that at the end of that period, he was uh, throwing hits and throwing punches. And then on the fourth goal, he uh, McLeod loops around in the defensive end, gives it to Kane at the blue line, executes a perfect give-and-go. He, he sucks two forwards in. He even takes a hit and takes some contact. Still gets the puck back to McLeod for a perfect give and go. Now, you know, all credit to McLeod on that perfect little shimmy shake shoulder fake that, you know, gave Dreisaitl the top in and Gibson bid on. But all of those things were as a result of the, the plays Kane made, right? Like, the, we, we, we've got 13 out of a possible 18 points since Kane showed up, bud. <laughs> and he's he's producing. And, I mean, that, that goal is in the power play, right? Second unit, uh, which I think is great to see and you're right like the, the momentum of a late goal can be huge like two goals tough but when you make it within one goal you just know you're that one shot away and it doesn't have to be a great shot it, it's just got to get through and i mean i i love what evander kane's brought this is no surprise to me you touched on it we know off the ice there's questions on the ice he's exactly what this team needed and you know and I think you brought up a really good point about Fogel and Hyman and those two guys, like they work their ass off. They, I feel like they're the type of guys that, you know, you're, you're probably, you're frustrated playing against because they just have that motor that doesn't stop. But I don't mm-hmm. think they're necessarily dicks. And I, and I mean yeah. this in a good way, like Evander Kane on Brendan Lemieux there, like just, you know what? I'm just going to punch you in the face and it's going to be two minutes, but it's worth it because this Oilers team needs some edge and the guys will kill off the penalty. And, you know, Strutty had some good points on the show. Like, you know, that, that could have been a backbreaker for this team. Like that could have really cost them. Yeah. But I think the boys on the bench were probably like, okay, we got to kill this one. We like, it, yeah. <laughs> we got to kill it for Kane. And, yeah. uh, you know, Kane sat out a shift later in that game. And then when the game was needed to be iced, he was put out there at the end. Like, I, I thought that, you know, it, just, just Kane and Nima Line, and they have that, that little element of kind of a prick. Like, if, if things go bad, they might do something. And I, I think that's mm-hmm. good to have in hockey. Like, Tom Wilson oh. has that. You see it with Reeves. Like, it's not a bad thing. No doubt about it. I mean, you bring up Nima Leinen, and that's the second part of this little equation that's been added. And, and man, like, he's, I don't know, I'm trying to find a comparable. I really struggle with it. I'd be interested in what your opinion is, too. Like, for, sometimes he looks like a poor man, Scott Stevens. That's, you know, like, he doesn't maybe have that offensive talent or and, and extra talent that Stevens had. But, you know, is he a Brian Marchment? Is, is he a, is, you know, he's he throws the knees. Smith, but he, that predatory nature. Like we need to we need to run twelve sixty and try to find a nickname for this guy, like Marcus Wrecking Ball Nima Line and Seek and Destroy Shock and Awe. Like he hits to hurt, he hits to hurt, and that's like it's soul. He like takes Junior B runs it, guys. And <laughs> you talked about that sucker punch from Kane. We got Nima Line and throwing cross checks too, and he did it in his first call up as well, where he had to protect his space and threw some lumber when he did. So he doesn't he doesn't care. You know, 17 hits. In that first game versus the Islanders, seven hits in 11 minutes of ice time. Like, what? Seven hits in 11 minutes? He's got 17 hits in 52 minutes now after these games. You know, I'm sorry, but you'd have to go back to when Dave Manson actually played for us to have Cassian have 17 hits in, in a four-game span. 
Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you can still take a shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming sources. Void where prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the TN red line 1-800-889-9789 in Connecticut call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in New York call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 now let me throw a name at you this one goes back like I I barely remember like I, I remember he was one of the first Oilers I actually remember watching and I'm gonna have to look back and like when he played here Luke Richardson is there any Luke Richardson vibes for you? Yeah, for sure. Similar to Marchman, right? Yeah. There's that big, lumbering, defensive. Like, I don't think he's going to replace Larson as a first-pairing defensive defenseman, but he sure looks great as a third-pairing or number seven who can slot in when needed or always play that role and play a shutdown role on that third pairing. Like, as our, our good friend Dave Jamison says, he looks like a mongoose poised to strike <laughs> at all times. I looked it up. 91 to 97. So yeah, I mean, he, he was here for some of the, the fun years, the Oilers stars, uh, the beginning of that rivalry. And I 100% agree. Like he, he's just, he's a guy to me that you have to keep in the lineup, even with Duncan Keith returning or when he comes back, like just yeah. that element that you can have with him. Uh, I think it's so crucial for this team. Uh, Dash, the, the Edmonton Oilers this weekend, it's going to be a big one. Uh, Winnipeg Jets, a team, uh, you know, playing up and down hockey. Then you got the Minnesota Wild on Sunday. If it's you, are you going uh, Mike Smith on Saturday, Koskinen Sunday, or are you swapping those around? We debated this last night, actually, on our network, and uh, you know, I had my mind changed on the air live. I really did think that they would go with Koskinen just because of the rotation and getting him his chance. But the more I actually talked myself through it, I really think that you got to win the first half of that back-to-back. I, I think it's really important to win that first game and get the monkey off your back, in which case, I don't know. Like, I know Smith hasn't been great with all the two-goal leads he's been given up, but, Connor, I ask you this. Who's your best chance to win in net? Is it Mike Smith right now or is it Miko Koskinen? And whoever the answer to that is is who I would start on on the next game versus Winnipeg and then give the next guy the the other game. And I think that's Smith. I think you got to win that game against Winnipeg. Not to mention they lost with Koskinen at 5-2 or 6-2 earlier in the year. Because when they beat Winnipeg, they had Skinner in that. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I don't mind that theory. Like, I mean, Hernan and I discussed it on his podcast a while ago and we were talking like, well, you know, maybe you go Mike Smith uh, against Minnesota being the better team, the guy you trust a little bit more. But, you know, if you want to have your better goal in a winnable game, you go with Mike Smith. Any chance you'd go back-to-back, or do you think you have to get Miko out there? I think that's the only thing we won't see. I, I can't imagine we see back-to-backs. I mean, Mike Smith just proved what he can do on a back-to-back, and Miko's played them in the past, and he actually hasn't... He doesn't have a terrible record. I'd say he's like 500 at least when he plays them. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think that that's the perfect opportunity. It's just both of those teams are a tough out right now. You know, Winnipeg's hotter than hell, and and Minnesota's hotter than hell and tougher than hell. But Minnesota just got beat by Winnipeg. Like I don't know how you want to play that game, but I don't think either one of those teams is going to be easy. That said, we just out L.A. Kings, the L.A. Kings. Mm-hmm. So anything anything's possible, man. Now, let's just look a little bit past that, and I, I kind of talked oh, about it, uh, you and I talked to. about it before you came on here. <laughs> is, is there a tougher, like, I mean, the Anaheim Ducks no. might say Alberta's a pretty tough road trip, the way things went for them the last couple of days, but on Wednesday, they go down to Tampa. Now, I, I like these early games, for me personally, doing the pregame shows on TSN 1260, <laughs> but yeah. you've got the Lightning on Wednesday, you got a couple of days off, you probably get a round of golf in, then Saturday, oh man, Florida Panthers, Sunday, the Carolina Hurricanes, like... And I try to be optimistic, like I said, but that—that's a road trip. You could start off zero and three very easily because that—I mean, that, those are really good teams. Really good teams. Um, if you'd asked me this pre-Woodcroft, uh, I would have been pretty confident telling you that we <laughs> maybe take take a point or two out of those three games. I don't know. I'm a little more. I'm a little more optimistic now. Like I'm not going to be a, a homer and say we're going to come out of there three and zero by any stretch of the imagination. I said, you know, I think some we're going to get beat up somewhere in there. I think we get a split on the Saturday Sunday um, Florida Carolina, and I say we get a split on the Saturday Sunday Winnipeg Minnesota as well. And I know you were looking ahead there, but so you know, I'd say it's maybe like loss against Winnipeg, win against Minnesota loss against Tampa, win against Florida, loss against Carolina, win against Philly, win against Chicago kind of type thing. Like, I think we'll come out of the road trip with with more points than not, but I don't think it's going to be easy by any stretch. Yeah, and I mean, we know how volatile it can be on social media with the Oilers. And for the fans <laughs> listening... The city was on fire and there was garbage bins full of tires burning like a week ago. And all of a sudden we're two points out of second place yep. for the game in hand. I don't exactly. know what you're talking about, <laughs> I, I always say like to, to the people out there, if, if this road trip doesn't start off well, don't panic because those are very yeah. good teams in Florida. The games against Philly and Chicago, you hopefully can make them up. And, you know, e- even going up against Tampa, Florida... And Carolina, like, you got McDavid and Dreisaitl, right? You got Evander Kane, who's a perennial 20, 25 goal scorer in this league. Like, Nugent Hopkins is starting to play a lot better. Uh, even go down the lineup, like, Fogel, Derek Ryan, um, Jesse Pugliarvi, I'm not too sure what his condition will be for those games. But, I mean, the Oilers, they, they can't really be afraid and, and back down from these teams because they do have the firepower to match a lot of them. Yeah, especially in a track meet type of game, right? Um, you know, at the beginning of the year, I would have said anytime we're in one of those tilted ice surfaces where it's just like race after race after race, we were doing pretty well with those. And I think you kind of touched on it earlier where we really needed the power play. Like that 16-5 and five Oilers team, we needed the power play. The thing about this team that's gone 9-2-1 and one or whatever we are in the last 11 is we haven't needed the power play and we're winning in different ways. You know, it's a it's a 38 shot track meet that's stolen by Smith against the Islanders, and then, you know, a 20 shot 20 shot shutout the next game, and and then against the Kings. Like I said, like that was a tight game without a lot of real estate to to execute with. And it was fast paced. It had a bit of a playoff feel even, and mm-hmm. and the score wasn't indicative to the to the way that the game came out. But like I said, I think they outking the Kings. And, you know, here now last night, they overcome a terrible penalty kill, like you said, and a bad start, but opened the valve and 
and let it flow after that too. So we're getting all these types of different winds. So, you know, all we got to do is kind of hold, and to your point, again, I'm agreeing with you, hold your breath. If we don't do okay, if we don't do so so good or we're not that great against those first three teams, we're looking at Philly, Chicago, Montreal, uh, Detroit, Buffalo, New Jersey over, you know, seven of the next ten. Yeah, yeah. I, I always say, hey, the best teams at the end of the day, like that win the Stanley Cup, they still lose 20 games. <laughs> They're not perfect. So you're going to have to take the good with the bad, and hopefully the good outweighs the bad, and you avoid those losing skids. Right. But uh, some of that good news is, is that we do well against our division, right? I think yeah. Our record against the division, I don't quote me, 15-3 and three or something like that. So, you know, it's okay if we lose a couple against the East and we give up a, a, a Batman point or something. That's, that's okay. It's like when we come back and we got Calgary, San Jose, L.A., Anaheim, San Jose, L.A. to end the season, that's that's when the real hockey is going to really be turned up. That'll be playoff. I mean, we're almost playoff hockey now, Connor, but it'll really get turned up come the middle of March. I mean, the way the Pacific Division is right now, like, yeah, it's, right. it is. And you you nailed it with the, the Kings game. Like, I I really like the L.A. Kings Go, going forward. I hope they ditch the, the metallic helmets. Uh, sorry oh. if you like them. I, I hope they get rid of those things. But oh. <laughs> I, I do like that team. And I, I think the Pacific, I mean, even what Anaheim has shown this year, like, they, they, they're probably going to trail off. Uh, I, I don't think they can play as well as they did to start the season, but you look at Terry and Zegris, some of the young guys they have, Drysdale, like they, they've got some potential there. Gibson obviously is going to do well. Um, but just quickly, before we let you go here, uh, what are your thoughts on the Calgary Flames? Uh, we know they went out and got Tyler Toffoli from the Montreal Canadiens. I mean, they're playing some fabulous hockey right now. And I hate to say it. Yeah, I do too. There's, uh, there's three kind of divisional rivals that you went bang, bang, bang on. Um, you know, the Kings, they were an easy team to hate over the years, right? With the type of team they had, the Browns, the whoever, and 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 winning Stanley Cups and, and that sort of thing. I don't think, but yeah, I, I've done a lot of things in hockey, Connor. I think I wore a tinted visor. I think I might have even wore yellow laces, but never once did I ever think to wrap my helmet in tinfoil. Um, I, I love Fedorov with the white skates, by the way. And Ovi's, Ovi's visor, <laughs> thought it was great. Tinted, or uh, the bright helmets, though, not a fan. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I don't like the gold one in Vegas either, no. to be honest. But, um, and, you know, and then you brought up the Ducks there quickly. And, man, we're, they were the easiest team in the league to hate. You know, when you look at Kessler hanging on to Talbot's pad in 19 playoffs, and you look at Getzlaff well, pretty much ending Secker's career, um which we're still paying on the cap for. You look at anything and everything Corey Perry's ever done. And then all of a sudden I find myself watching the game last night and like, is there any tricks that Zegers and Milano have up their sleeve that we haven't seen yet? I hope so. They're fun to watch, man. Like all of a sudden I find myself liking Anaheim. But to that, I still hate Calgary. And that's what you asked me about. So what do I think about the Flames? You know, it, it's a testament to what a coaching change can do, and I really doubted that Sutter move. I honestly did. I thought they were crazy, to be honest. I was shocked when I heard bad news. <clears throat> um, that said, look at what they've done. And I'm pretty sure I heard Tommy Gazzola say yesterday that Johnny Gaudreau is leading the NHL in 5-on-5 points. He is, yeah. <laughs> like, I, let me answer your question with this. Let me answer your question with a question. Put you on the spot, Mr. Howie. Do you think that this is the year and this is the coach that can have Johnny Goudreau play five on five in the playoffs? I think that's the real question here. Yeah, I mean, and that's when it's going to matter, right? Like, can that's he keep right. it up in the playoffs, playing those minutes? And uh, honestly, I, I won't lie, uh, <laughs> Dash. When when this season started, I had the Flames 
you know, fourth, third at best in the Pacific, and I said, like, well, what are they going to do, win games 3-1? They've got a plus 52 goal differential. Like, they are playing that defensive hockey, but they're still scoring goals. Unreal differential. (laughs) Unreal. Yeah. If they can keep it up, good on them. Um, My answer to your question is, what do I think about them? Let's see it when it matters. Yeah, and I'd like to see him execute it in the playoffs. They got the pulley. Yeah, sure. There's some familiarity there. I actually giggled at his presser there when they asked him what he thought about his name getting chanted. He's like, "Ah, it was great. I hope they never do it again. I haven't stopped getting <laughs> chirped since." Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and then that can turn very quickly in Alberta with the, the hockey teams there. It's it's tough to see, and we hope it. You know, they hope they start losing games soon. But right now, playing good hockey, and uh, just as I as I check it out, uh, Jesse Puljujarvi. Uh, according to Gregor and uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman, oh, not yeah. skating today. Uh, could be three to four weeks. Not going to play this weekend Ooh. with the lower body injury. Uh, looked pretty innocent because he scored the goal, celebrated. Yeah. It was an awkward goal. Swing and a miss, but it goes off his skate. Um, obviously, the Oilers were going to take it at that point of the game. But, uh, well, something we'll have to, I guess, monitor and, and see what the Oilers say officially. But it looks like JP out three to four weeks. Uh, how does that change your top six? Well, it certainly gives some more opportunity for some of these young guys, right? I guess we try to figure out where we cycle in. The reason I think it hurts us more than anything is just because he shoots right-handed. Mm-hmm. You know, that just our depth on the right side isn't quite as good as the left side, and we can throw Hyman over or whatever we need to do, but, you know, that kind of leaves us Hyman and Yamamoto for for top two right-wingers on the in the top six. So uh, it handcuffs Woodcroft a little bit, for sure. Um, and I also like Pugliarvi's defensive game this year. I think he's been somebody we can rely on uh, for a 200-foot game. And, um, you know, he was creating, uh, no matter what load he was on, he made them hard to handle. And I really like that about him. So, you know, it, it makes he makes us harder to play against. He's one of the few that has. Now, I know you do watch the Condors, so... Is there anyone down in Bakersfield that you think might get a call up that could potentially jump into the Oilers' top nine, top six? I know uh, there's a there's a guy some people like down there. Well, I think there's two options here, and I think the one you're hinting at is Dylan Holloway, right? And <laughs> whether he's NH already, I don't know. I'm on the fence on that right now. I think he still needs some seasoning, to be honest. Yeah. Um, He's had a little bit of, it's been a bit unfair to him down there. Um, he hasn't had the offensive production in his games that he'd probably liked, but they've also been taking a lot of penalties recently. Like, I think there was a couple games in a row where they had 15 pins and, and, um, something just under that or just over that in consecutive games, and he doesn't kill penalties. So, you know, that's an entire period where you're just sitting there, and you're obviously not scoring when you're sitting on the bench. I think really what the answer is, and it's more of a, you know, this is all potentially a Holland-Woodcroft decision collaborative, but Brad Malone obviously was just, you know, a sign. And I think that that's probably, you know, somebody that they can rely on for a little bit more experience, a little bit more grit, a little bit more physicality. You know, whether I don't think that's a top six role, obviously, Con, but, you know, I, I think that's probably who's coming up. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a pretty good prediction there. Uh, obviously not a great situation for the Oilers, but hey, you know what? When one door closes, another one opens, so somebody's going to get an opportunity to play potentially with Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl, and you just hope that they take advantage. Uh, Dash, thanks so much for doing this today. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your thoughts on what's going on with the Oilers, the coaching change and everything. For those who want to hear the podcast, where can they hear it? Ah, thanks for having me on again. It's always a pleasure to be here. I, I really enjoy talking hockey with you and then struggling when we throw them into the mix. And I'm still
still a little disappointed. I thought one of these times that Strutty was going to hop on and we can have a little whistle off for a name that tune one of these times. But um, you can find our podcast on uh, YouTube as well as Twitter Live, as well as Facebook Live, as well as Twitch. It is all under the Heavy Hockey banner, Heavy Hockey Network. Uh, I'm working with um, at Mike Dursa with Straight Off the Pipe. We've also got some other good guys on there with Michael Hebert and Oilers Live and Eric Friesen with uh, 99 Forever, Josh with the Tough, Paul, Tough Call podcast. And uh, it's just been a lot of fun, um, you know, doing these collaborations with you and just getting to talk hockey with whoever's willing to. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff going on right now, so it's it's just uh, it's 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 something to keep our eyes on and stay up with, and let's just keep doing it. The 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 Oilers content, yeah, I mean, there's a lot right. of it out there right That's now. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's a lot of it out there right Easy now. For me to say, yeah, um, no, it's, it's not a week goes by where you say, "Well, what are we going to talk about on the show tonight, boys?" <laughs> I loved even during the break, like even when they weren't playing games, it was like, "Well, oh, Evander Kane's out there." And and then we had you know content uh, that whole week. Were you listening to the the night show with Strutty with the whistle off? Like, are you a big fan of yeah. the, the whistle off? Oh yeah, I remember you guys for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It was the night show. I, <laughs> I set an alarm. <laughs> I don't know why I found that so bloody entertaining, but there's just that genuine ability Strutty has to laugh at himself and. You know what? There's a couple of things I've learned in life, and if you're having a bad day, you can turn Strutty on, or you can go and listen to a Jay Woodcroft presser because that cheers me up too. <laughs> Both people, I really enjoy. Yeah, Jay used to come on like the Gregor show. I don't know how much I'll do it now that he's with the Oilers, yeah. but when he's with the Condors, we had him on every couple of weeks, and just such a smart guy to to see the turnaround for the Oilers. Yeah, really, no Breath surprise. He's so endearing. Hey, like yeah, it's, it's, it's an easy guy to like. It's yeah, an easy guy to like. And I mean, I, I feel like you know when. Went to the AHL, kind of mm-hmm. earned everything he's got, and yep. doesn't take it for granted. Happy to be back in the NHL behind yeah. the bench. And- hey, thanks Pete Shirelli, hey, <laughs> for, not, for not firing that entire assistant coaching staff when uh, McClellan uh, lost him and, and just putting Woodcroft down there. That was a, that was a Shirelli move. Every yeah, once in a while. Every once in a while, a Shirelli move pops up, and we're like, thanks, Pete. Nemo Linen's another one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Dash, again, thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it, and we will talk to you later. Anytime, my friend. Take care. There you go. That is a dash, a dash in the park on Twitter. You can get them at heavyhockey.com, straight off the pipe podcast, the Heavy Hockey Network. Always appreciate him hopping on the show with me, uh, sharing those things. And as we did discuss, not a good sign for Yessi Pugliarvi as he will miss, looks like, three to four weeks with a lower body injury. That coming from Jason Gregg of TSN 1260 and Oilers Nation. Uh, in the next couple weeks of the show, I guess we'll have to follow that one up and see how serious that injury is, but uh, not good for the Edmonton Oilers. And, of course, as we talked about the Oilers, a busy weekend on a Saturday. They'll take on the Winnipeg Jets out in Winnipeg. That's a 2 o'clock puck drop. For pregame coverage on TSN 1260, tune in 12.30. Tom Gazzola and myself will have you covered. And then on Sunday, hosting the Minnesota Wild. That gets going at 6 o'clock. That means we'll be on at 4.30, TSN 1260. I recommend you tune in to both. And that's going to do it for us here on the Other Connor Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Big shout out to Dash for hopping on the Other Connor Podcast here with me. Thank you to DraftKings, our sponsor. Sign up today. Make sure to use promo code THPN. Also, the fine folks at the Hockey Podcast Network. Always appreciate you guys for giving me this platform. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Connor Halley. Give me a follow at Connor Halley on Twitter. This is the Other Connor Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.